It is May the 15th, 2022. The world still counts time by Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer and we will begin. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all the ways you bless us beyond our awareness, we know. Uh, We're grateful, Father, for your gift to us of Jesus and your sacrifice and his sacrifice for us. And uh, ask your blessings today as we study about that very event today. Uh, Pray, Father, your blessings on different ones that we're aware of, each one of us Maybe thinking of friends, family members, acquaintances uh, that we know of that uh, have spiritual, physical, emotional needs, and we, you know, our thoughts, and we lift those up to you at this time. Uh, we thank you, Father, for uh, the freedom we have in this country. I want to ask that you give us leaders, that it might be your will that uh, you would give us leaders who recognize your authority and who are people of integrity and who are wise in governing. There's just a lot of corruption in the world, and we know that our, um, our country is facing a great deal of that as well. We thank you for Jesus as we follow him that we we pray we'll see opportunities to be lights. Ask your blessings on us today as we study and um, we pray for your leading in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in John 18 and I wanted to mention uh, one thing that we spoke about One thing I wanted to mention from last week in in John 18, we were talking about Jesus praying to the Father that this cup might pass uh, pass him by and that Mark, Mark and Luke talk about this in great detail. John does not, but one account talks about him sweating profusely as it were, great drops of blood, um, praying earnestly. Another one says that uh, Jesus says his soul was grieved to the point of death. Uh, The cross was not something he was looking forward to at all, although he had told the disciples several times, I'm going to do this. And uh, he said, "Uh, when I'm raised... I'll see you in Galilee. He knew he was going to do it, but he still didn't want to, and he prayed to the Father right up until a few hours before that this might pass. And afterwards, Roxanne was talking to me, and she said, you know, uh, so we made the statement that the prayer, the answer to his prayer was no. And sometimes that's the answer we get, no. Uh, But she made the point that the Father did hear the prayer, and he sent an angel, the Scripture says, to comfort him in in his grief uh, and agony that he was going through, emotional stress 
beyond our ability to comprehend for him, especially because being God, death was totally foreign and against his nature. Carrying sin was totally foreign and against his nature. Being separated from the Father was totally foreign and against his nature in his whole experience of eternity. And it's impossible for us to grasp that kind of emotional strain that the prospects of those things were about to happen. Uh, she said, but you know, the father did send an angel to comfort him, and, she, and the comment that she made, and it was good, I thought, that um, as we pray about things, and sometimes it's no or wait, or not quite that this way or that way, the father has plans, and his will, he is working for things to follow his will, and we are not able to see all of those things. But she says, you know, we should look for helps, not angels per se, but different ways that the Father sends help and comfort as we're praying uh, for certain things to happen. Uh, He is hearing. You know, I think of Stephen uh, praying as he was being murdered executed uh, by stoning for preaching the gospel and Stephen uh, at one point he says I can see the Lord standing uh, by the right hand of the Father Uh, only time I'm aware of the Jesus is that it says once he ascended back to heaven that he stood was it Stephen's uh, the killing of Stephen um, so sometimes God's children are, we're doing his will, uh, but things can, in a sin-infected world, things can go very badly. And one way that we glorify him is to consistently show our faith and trust in the difficulties, even when we're suffering unjustly. And Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2. And when he uses that, he says, Jesus left an example for you to bear up under unfair, unjust punishment or treatment. He said, the Lord gave you an example to follow. Look what he did on the cross. Totally unfair, totally unjust treatment. But he went through that and trusted the Father to see him through it. And so Peter gives us that example that sometimes you're, you're persecuted, you're mistreated for doing what's right. Just keep doing it. That is a witness in the world as we do that. So anyway, I appreciated Roxanne's comments there. So now let's go on. And we're looking um, at Peter's denial. You know, Jesus told, uh, Mark gives us, uh, and Luke talk about uh, at the Last Supper how Jesus told the disciples, you're all going to leave. You're going to scatter. And um, he quotes Zechariah 13 that um, he says, as the scripture says, when the shepherd will be struck, the sheep will scatter. And Mark tells us that Peter says, no, I'll never do that. I'll die. I'll go to the death. And And it says in Mark 14, 31, They all said the same thing, all of them, not just Peter, but all of them. 
And here's the thing about Scripture. Uh, when, when it says something must come to pass, it will. Oh, it's going to come to pass. And the disciples were completely convinced that they would not. They had been with Jesus for three years. They were, they were there. They were with him. And they will not be denying him or leaving him. And Jesus says, oh, the scripture's going to be fulfilled. You're all going to leave. They couldn't grasp that. So here we are now in John 18, verse 17, 25, and 27. Peter's denying Jesus. And Jesus had told him, Peter, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Peter just said, I, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And I notice in verse 25 of John chapter 18, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, so there's a crowd there. They said to him, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And he denied it and said, no, I'm not. And I just think about that um, using they, crowd pressure, crowd pressure. Uh, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in our social group, but uh, you've felt it, haven't you? Haven't you felt crowd pressure before? Um, the conversation's going a certain direction, and, uh, and, you, and you're thinking, okay, I know this is not quite, this isn't good, this is not a good direction, and you're, so there's a decision. Uh, do I say something? Do I speak up? Do I make my point here? Or do I just be quiet and just not, not comment? In, in Peter's case, he, he commented. He denied knowing Jesus. But a lot of times uh, we accomplish a similar response in our lives by just choosing to remain quiet and just say, well, I just need to, there's no need for me to comment here. I'll just be quiet. That, that, in effect, can be a denial of our faith. And we certainly have to be wise. And Jesus tells us that, the scripture does. We need to be wise in choosing what to say, how much to say, when to say it, whether to say it. There's, there may be an occasion, and maybe that's not the occasion. So we have to make those decisions. But we should be alert to that uh, because our purpose here is to bring glory to God by how we live and what we do and say. That's our purpose. It's not to be successful in our careers. That's a good thing, but that's not our purpose. Eric. Say it again. Uh -huh. So if you didn't hear, it, uh, Eric said at least Peter was there close by. Didn't do the right thing in the moment, but had enough interest to be there close at hand. Uh, yeah, at least, uh, like Eric said, at least the thing is, like I was saying, uh, when sometimes we choose to be silent, uh, that we at least need to be there so we have the opportunity 
not just withdrawing from the whole situation and running and hiding. That's certainly no witness at all. Um, so lessons, several lessons to learn from Peter. Any other comments about all of that or any of that or part of that? Fairly young men. And um, I nearly had a thought there, Rick. Uh, but they were young, yes. And that, you know, they've been with Jesus three years. Well, that's fairly young in the faith, too. Although they had seen some things. But uh, young men and fairly young followers, uh, new, new followers of Jesus, uh, in a sense. So uh, a lot of things involved in all of that. <clears throat> One other thing I would throw in about this. Um, so Peter's there. They've arrested Jesus. He's wondering what's going to happen. He's warming by the fire, and he's just he's in shock rather than being in prayer. Um, possibly if he had been in prayer, he might have responded differently although Jesus has said, you're going to deny me, so that was set. But uh, the, the point being, when we're under a lot of stress and difficulty, our first uh, tendency a lot of times is maybe we're just in shock about it. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And there's part of the problem. <clears throat> we're, taught, we're thinking about what am I going to do? And uh, you know, these are times, the first, the first thing that we need to be, our first default needs to be prayer. I am not able to handle all of this. And I need to realize I, sh I should be in prayer about this. And maybe if I am, maybe as I go through that test, uh, maybe I'll respond better. You know, uh, the scripture says, Enoch walked with God, walked with God, and he was taken. Do you think maybe he prayed a fair amount in his walk with God? Something about Enoch, that he was so close with the Father that God said, Enoch, I'm not going to have you go through death. I suspect that Enoch was in prayer like Paul writes to Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. You know, I used to read that as maybe as we were younger people and think, what? Pray without ceasing? What in the world? What in the, how could I, who could pray that much? What was, what is that about? I think as we mature, our prayer life matures. And as we mature and we realize how dependent we are on God's grace, on him giving us every moment, that it's a natural thing for us to be in prayer all the time, regularly. It's part of our day. Sometimes people say, I've been so busy, I hadn't had time to pray today. That's just not the right approach to life. Our focus is off if that's what our if that's our uh, 
the way our day is, the way we've responded to our day. I've been too busy to pray. I just hadn't thought about it. Wow, what an what a, what a out-of-focus life. Pray without ceasing. It's part of me being aware that I'm living in God's presence by the breath that he gives me to be his light. So a natural thing as I go through my day is to be prayerful. Natural, right? Yeah. Who was that? Johnny. Johnny? Ongoing conversation with the Father through the day. It's just an awareness to have as we live. That's something we should all think about and maybe we are all already there. That would be great if we're all already there. Uh, But it's the way that we should approach life. Um, So, 1828. Um, Quite a bit in this verse, actually. Um, Let me find it. Here we go. And then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled. Uh, early in the morning, two things happened here early, in the, early that morning. One, as Matthew tells us, Judas says he's overcome with what he's done and he takes the money back to the high priest. And he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Take it back. I don't want it. You know, First Timothy, Paul writes how the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Just uh, Judas was attracted by, and the, and the scripture says he was helping himself to the purse. He was in charge of the money and he tended to help himself to what was in there as the treasurer for the group. And then he goes to the high priest at, a, at some point and says, what would you give me to betray him? How much? And so anyway... A bit of conscience here hits Judas and he takes the money back that morning, early in the morning and says, this is blood money, it's innocent blood and I don't want it. And the, the reaction of the high priest says, what, what does that matter? What's that to us? That's over. We've arrested the guy, that's what we wanted to do. So, and they said, well, we can't use it for our treasury. We'll buy a field for uh, a graveyard. That's what we'll do with it. Uh, so anyway, is that repentance? Is that repentance? Don's ask. Who's going to answer that? It was certainly regret. Rick said, "I think I think we can give him that. It was regret for sure." He said, I've betrayed innocent blood. Uh, There may be a degree of repentance in there. Uh, He didn't respond the way he should have, ultimately. You know, Peter denied the Lord. Judas had him arrested. Peter denied him. And so, like Skip talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's how we respond to our mistakes, uh, whether we're seeking forgiveness It's there if we seek it. It's there. Um, And the other thing that happened early in the morning is they 
took him, they moved him to the governor's palace, which was previously Herod the Great's palace. But the Romans had taken it over, and uh, the history is that the, uh, during the big feast, which the Passover is one of them, the Roman governors would come to Jerusalem because that's when the crowds were greater during those feast times. The chance for problems was increased, and the Jews were not an easy people to manage, so there was always this little threat of uh, rioting, and uh, as we'll look at later, Barabbas was in jail for rioting, insurrection. So the governors would be present at Jerusalem during, during the feast, and so they take him to um, Pilate's place, Interesting that the Jewish leaders would not go into the Roman governor's courtroom because they did not want to become ceremonially unclean. If we go in there into that Gentile's premises, we'll become unclean, and if we become unclean, we can't partake of the Passover, which is a holy, the most holy feast that we have. A little ironic, isn't it? We're planning this murder of this guy that we know is innocent. Uh, but while we're planning his murder, let's, let's don't become unclean. We can't do the Passover if we, if we do that. Are, aren't hearts interesting things to study? How we rationalize what we do? There's probably a sermon in there somewhere, but we'll let it ride. Interesting. Um, I had in my notes about that from the very beginning of the book in John 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he said, we, we being the Sanhedrin, we Jewish leaders, we know this man is from God because of the things he does. And no one could do those things unless he's blessed by God. So early in the book, there's an awareness that Jesus is from God in some form, very early in his ministry. Look at what he's doing. But by John chapter 11, they're saying in verse 48, the whole world's going after this fellow. We're losing control. We've got to do something. We've got to stop this. If we don't, the Romans are going to, there's going to be an uprising. The Romans are going to come and crush the nation. They're going to take away our place that we enjoy being in power, and we cannot allow that. And then Caiaphas, the high priest, says he's got to die. That's the answer. He tells them in verse 50 of John 11, don't you know anything? He's got to die. One man for the nation. Instead of having the Romans put the hammer down on our nation and clamping down on us, we've just got to get rid of him. So that was the plan from the middle of the book there, and they've just been looking for the opportunity and the time to do it. Interesting thing, what Jesus says in John 15, if you'll turn back there for a second, uh, when Jesus says in verse 24 of John 15, if I had not done among them, talking about the Jewish leaders, the works that no one else did, they wouldn't be guilty of sin, but they've seen what I did and still hated me and my father. 
but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Jesus said, they saw, they saw the works I did that by their definition were messianic works. I heal the leper. That's a messianic sign. No one but God can do that. None of the magicians, none of the doctors, none of the other, anything can do that, heal a leper. So the, the Jews had their tradition. This, if anyone ever heals a leper, that's a sign they're from God. That's a sign of the Messiah. Jesus did that. He healed a man born blind from birth. That was another messianic sign. No one can heal a baby born with a deformity from birth and just erase it. He did. No one can cast out a demon from a deaf mute. They had something about casting out demons. They had to know the name of the person or the demon. And if it was a deaf mute, he couldn't communicate. So they said, this is a messianic sign if anyone can cast out a demon from a mute. He did that too. And no one can raise the dead if they've been dead for four days because after three days, the spirit leaves the body. That was their tradition. Lazarus, four days, he did that. So Jesus said, I did all these signs. By their definition, I'm the Messiah, messianic signs. So he says, they hated me and my father without cause. I'm innocent of all the charges. They have no reason to hate me. The reason was jealousy, envy, self-preservation. They didn't want to lose their positions. Um, and, and when Peter preaches on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he says, you crucified him by the hands of lawless men. There were no charges, no crimes he committed. There were charges, no crimes he committed, and you knew it. And by the hands of lawless men, who were the high priests? You crucified the Lord. And in Peter's sermon, you talk about cutting someone to the bone. He did. And by the end of it, they were so cut, they said, what do we do? Because Peter told them, this Jesus you crucified, he didn't stay crucified. God raised him from the dead. And he's now both Lord and Christ. He was the Messiah all along. And you killed him. What do we do? Peter's reply, Acts 2, verse 38. He says, you need to change your heart about Jesus. Repent. And be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what you do. That's what Peter told people to do. We don't always hear that today, but that's the response in the scripture. Change your heart about Jesus. Become a follower. Be baptized in his name for the remission of your sins and receive the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what the Scripture says to do. So, by the hands of lawless men, they crucified him. Um, John 19. Pilate looks at all this. Uh, let me see. Well, let's don't quite go there yet. Let's go to, yeah, I got way ahead of my, skipped a whole page of notes. What was I thinking? 
pardon me while I shift, nose to this side, Bible to this side. There they are. So Pilate says in 18 verse 33, he entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? This was the charge. The charge against Jesus was treason. The charge that the high priest brought. They wanted to put the blame of killing Jesus onto the Romans, not themselves. So they said, he says he's a king of the Jews. That makes him an insurrectionist. There can be no king but Caesar. He's the king. And so if they pitched the charge against Jesus to the Romans that this man says he's the king of the Jews, the Romans will kill him for insurrection. So the guilt of this, killing an innocent man, won't be on us. We put the Romans up to it, and the guilt's going to be on them. That was the plan. The real reason was they couldn't stand that the Messiah was not the kind of Messiah that they were expecting. They were wanting a leader to reinstate. Look at Hattie. Isn't she just the cutest thing? They couldn't stand that the Messiah was not the king that they wanted to reestablish high. The, the nation of Israel. So, of such, is the of such is the kingdom. Grandchildren. Everybody that's got one knows what I'm saying. So they were jealous. They said, we've got to get rid of him. We're going to lose our position. And they come up with a charge of insurrection. But Jesus says in John 18, 36, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were of this world, my followers would be fighting. We'd be in battles. There are no battles. There's no rioting. There's nothing going on. We're not revolting. My kingdom's not of this world. I'm not trying to be a king of this world. So the charge of insurrection falls flat on its face. Charging a guy with leading a revolt, but there's no revolt. Jesus says in 1837, uh, 36, my kingdom's not of this world. In 37, he says, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Pilate says, the truth? What is the truth? Don't we have, we got a bunch of that problem today. What is the truth? You know, I've said before in class that the thing that I've started hearing about a year or two ago was people saying, you've got to be loyal to your truth. You've got to honor your truth. Like there's all, a, a, all kinds of truth, individual truth. There's a sense, I understand a sense of that, but really what they're saying is be true to your opinions and do what you want to do. Follow your own feelings. Your truth, follow your feelings. No, that's not the truth. That's selfishness. That's selfishness. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, the truth. There is a truth. The truth is God the Father 
God the Son and God the Spirit. That we are people convicted of sin and under the penalty of sin and there's only one remedy of, to sin and that is the payment of sin by the innocent blood of Jesus Christ to free us from the penalty of our sin and that he is raised from the dead. The Son of God lives forever, raised from the dead. He is the truth. That's the truth. Jesus said, I came to bear witness to this. So Pilate is totally confused about that. But he does conclude in verse 38, I find no guilt in this man. He's innocent. So Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. He hasn't done anything. Pilate's going to say that three times during this trial. He's innocent. No guilt. He's going to say it three times. So the result of the Roman trial is not going the way the Jews wanted it to go. They're going to get desperate here in a minute about that. Mark says in Mark 15, when Pilate's out there, he's, the scripture tells us that Pilate is starting to put two and two together here, that the Jews have brought Jesus to trial because they are envious of him. They are jealous of him. That's the real problem. That's the problem with the high priests, the Pharisees, and that whole bunch. They're jealous that Jesus is drawing a following. And so Pilate, Mark tells us, chapter 15, verse 10, he's sensing there's a problem here. It's with these Jewish leaders. So it says he asked the crowd. He says, I find no guilt in him. Should I release him? But the next verse says the leaders of the Jews, the priests and such, Stir up the crowd. You know how mobs are. Now you folks that are under 30, you haven't seen a Western. But all of us who are over 30, we've seen Westerns and we know about lynching mobs. And they're just unruly. They're crazy. Well, that's what the Pharisees did. They stirred up a lynching mob. They whip up the crowd and they bring in some of their own paid there's a word for those kind of people. I can't think of the word. It starts with an M-I-S, but it's something. Anyway, come up with your own word. Say again. Activist. M-I-S. Miss activist. No, that's not the word I was looking for. <laughs> anyway, there's a word. So they stir up the crowd. They said, well, is this guy? No, we, we, no he's guilty. We got to kill him. So here's the ironic thing about this proceeding here. So they've got this custom of releasing a guy once a year at Passover from jail. Well, they have this guy arrested called Barabbas. He was arrested for insurrection, for murder and insurrection, and they've got him in jail. He took part in a riot against the Roman government. He's locked up. Here's Jesus, whose followers are doing nothing there's no revolt, there's no insurrection, who's done nothing. And Barabbas says, do you want this insurrectionist released or do you want Jesus released? And the charge against Jesus is insurrection, but there is no insurrection. And they say, release the insurrectionist. No, they say, yes, that's what they say. See, what I tell you about mobs. They do things that are crazy. Release the guy that's guilty of insurrection. Now, this guy that didn't commit insurrection, let's kill him for insurrection. 
There you go, mob. Anyway, that's, that's what goes on there. Little, a little wee bit of hypocrisy going on there. I saw a sign the other day. Oh my, three minutes. What happened? Don, we may have to extend this class another month. Uh, I saw a sign the other day at a pro-choice rally. Somehow pro-choice sounds not so bad as pro-abortion. The sign said, abortion saves lives. <sighs> that's, a, that's, a, that's what happened here with Jesus. Release the insurrectionists. Let's kill the guy that's not guilty of insurrection on the charge of insurrection. So, in verse chapter 19, Pilate flogs Jesus, thinking maybe that'll satisfy him. I'm going to beat him to a pulp. Sometimes flogging kill people. We're going to beat him to a pulp and then bring him out and show him. And they do that, and, and Pilate says, look at the man here. Look at what shape he's in. Chief priests are still active. They're still stirring. They say, away with him. Crucify him, crucify him. One last passage here, and uh, we'll, we'll stop for the day. As the high priests are getting desperate, and Pilate has said for the third time, not chapter 19, verse 6, I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. And so they're desperate now, and the Jews say, we have a law. According to the law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be God. Uh, the reading, I'm no expert on Jewish uh, history, legal history, but the reading that I've done on it says that that was really not correct, that the Jewish law allowed killing a person who claimed another God rather than Jehovah God, who claimed another God. It was not a capital offense for someone to falsely claim, I'm the Messiah, they could be beaten, they could be arrested, they could be debunked, but it was not a killing offense. But if a person was promoting another God different from Yahweh, that was a killing offense. I've read that, I don't know, if, uh, that's just FYI. But anyway, they say we have a law and he made himself out to be the son of God. Now what's happened here is they finally start saying, okay, Pilate has said for the third time he's innocent, so the Romans may not execute him. So let's resort to our own law. Pilate doesn't know anything about our laws. We have a law that if he claims to be the son of God, he can be killed. Now they've taken it on themselves. They've taken the guilt of Jesus' death on themselves. They were going to shift it to the Romans at first. That was the plan. That didn't work. Pilate says three times he's innocent. So they say, okay, we're going to take the responsibility of his death on ourselves. And they say, he's got to die. He claimed to be God. Uh, so the jig is up. They, uh, they're outed. They want Jesus killed for their own reasons, and now they're going to bear the responsibility of it. 
And we will stop here for this commercial break and resume our story, Lord willing, next Sunday. You are now free to move about the nation. Appreciate you coming. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.